0: up everybody welcome to Draft chaff this is episode number 169 my name is zach i'm one of your hosts and joining me as per usual ben fisher what's up dude not too much uh
1: i'm I'm starting to enjoy Woe a lot more i I may have been a little sour on it and i've look i'm big enough to admit that i think it's because i went oh three (laughs) pre-release i think that
0: (laughs) i think it's it's growing on me a lot i will say the sealed environment and the draft environment do feel quite different this set Mm, yeah yeah, and we can
1: get all into this uh, with our first impressions this week.
0: But before we do, of course, our usual housekeeping. Do check out the Discord if you haven't already. It's the best place to be to chat all things MTG. Come say hi, chat with the rest of the aficionado community, discuss your picks, your trophies. Um, we love to celebrate folks getting trophies. We've got a scoreboard kind of uh, bot in there that handles tracking. Who's running up the leaderboards? I think Koga's in the lead right now with Ratafia not far behind. Ben, you're slacking. <laughs>
1: uh, look, I said, this was going to happen. <laughs> I, I'm going to make it's a true. solid effort. I'm going to make a solid effort, but, uh, teaching takes time. And, uh, unfortunately I do have to prioritize the minds of the youth or whatever. So uh, look, I, I could draft like on this. my lunch break sometime. <laughs> there you go.
0: And normally we would I also, <laughs> <laughs> that's unfortunate. Uh, normally this is also where we would pitch the patreon uh, which is the best place to support the show directly but as we mentioned last week we're kind of pausing the patreon right now as we're kind of overhauling it and we'll be relaunching it in november Um, again all current patrons will get october free so don't like unsubscribe or anything if you don't want to miss out on free perks Um, and then we'll relaunch in november we'll have more dates on all that in the near future um but if you do want to check that out and kind of see where it's at now, all the tiers are going to be updated and everything uh, in the coming months. But uh, if you want to check that out now, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash giraffe pot. All right. On to our cracker draft type thing. Ben, this looks like a spicy late one. Yeah,
1: we've got a weird one. I'm not sure if we've had a pack three pick three on cracker draft type thing. Not for a while, at least. Uh, If you are watching, this would be a good time to pull it up so you can see the full context because there's a lot of cards I'll read over the gist of things. I've got a bit of a Grixis mix here. Uh, Some good blue red cards, some good black cards and a tricky decision here in pack three pick three. So. So far my deck, uh, let me just read you through some of the highlights. I've got a Snare Master Sprite and a Rotisserie Elemental as good early drops with two Torch the to Towers to back them up. So pretty good blue-red uh, beatdown start. Some of the good blue-red stuff. I've been slightly impressed with Aquatic Alchemist, as funny as that is. That card's... I know, I know. Zach's making a face. It's a little better than I gave it credit for. I thought it was a Stone Cold Unplayable. But sometimes in blue-red, you are just in need of a two-drop, and that one can beat down. I lost the game of the day to two of them, just...
0: beaten down (laughs) i have i have a confession to make yeah i lost to one of these when i was playing (laughs) a remotely aggressive deck and it was it was like one of those weird hybrids that like it should have been aggressive but the the draft didn't quite get there so it was kind of a dirtily aggressive mid-range deck Mm -hmm. and they just had alchemist into 15 removal spells (laughs) yeah yeah that (laughs) that just happens
1: sometimes uh and i think alchemist is one of the cards that improves with the player's skill uh like a player knowing when to fire off a, a removal spell to maybe um set up a double block and then use the removal spell to just really get your opponent with the uh, the alchemist look i've gotten got by that type of interaction before i'm i'm guilty of that too anyway going up the curve um still at two we've got picklock prankster uh, spell stutter so some good blue interaction and an extraordinary journey which is technically a two drop Really strong card in blue. Doesn't necessarily need to come down on turn two. In fact, it's better on turn six than than two and better on turn four as well. And a prophetic prism. Uh, Some mocking sprites. I've got three of them. So really set up for instance and sorceries, such as a quick study. I've got an uh, an ice out and a flick a coin. Uh, A galvanic giant, uh, twining twins. So kind of looking to get the white half of that off of the prophetic prism. Uh, I've got a Johan, the Apprentice Sorcerer, the uh, Blue-Red Uncommon, and i got a Hearth Elemental up top. That's all the Blue-Red stuff, but during pack two, I kind of dipped my toes into blue a little bit. I picked up a spell score into black, rather. I picked up a spell score in Coven, uh, which I figured I could splash off of the Prophetic Prism. The uh, adventure side of it, it sort of acts like a remand. Solid card. Uh, I picked up a Barrow Naughty to kind of go at these other fairies, and I picked up a Candy Grapple, which is probably top two commons it's between that and torch the tower so definitely best black common oh yeah easy so i've got what three of the best removal spells in the set just in my pool but a grixis pile isn't necessarily (laughs) what you want to be doing so now uh i have a little bit of fixing i mentioned the prophetic prism i picked up a crystal grotto uh the flick a coin makes a treasure heart elemental can draw you into more cards that's kind of like fixing right uh and a candy trail early on for some scrying. Now in this pack three, pick three, I had figured that black would be coming back my way in, uh in, in pack three, because there was a lot of it in pack one. I think I even picked up the spell score and coven in pack one. And then I think I took the other two black cards just in the middle of a uh, pack two. So I figured some black would be coming my way, which is why I, I was kind of wavering between this red and black as my off color blue. I think I'm definitely playing. I have so many fairies, extraordinary journey is a great blue card so now i'm kind of put to the test here in pack three pick three there's a devouring sugar maw which that card is nuts if you haven't gotten to play with it or against it it is at its best in black white specifically where you can use the adventure and maybe on turn three use the adventure turn four slam the sugar maw but then it's a four mana six six trample menace and yeah you have to bargain to keep it untapped but that's not that big a cost
0: right (laughs) Yeah, I mean, four mana six six menace is stupid just on its own, and it's more than that. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's probably best in, like you said, in the white black shell. But I also could see this being very effective in most black red decks as kind of your top end because
1: mm-hmm.
0: you almost don't need the white side. Some of the black red decks, you know, they make enough rats that you can typically bargain pretty regularly anyway. Um and just a four mana six six menace trample is just stupid. So um though I would say there's also a, gob- a goblin bombardment in this pack if you were in black red. So uh two cards you're not really excited to see in the same pack um if you're in that yeah. deck, though I think what you're getting at here potentially, there are a few cards in the blue-red deck that you could be going up against here, right? There's a Johan in the pack. I also see the Unruly Catapult, which it's one of my favorite cards in the set. I I mean, I don't think that's any surprise. Someone who loves thermo Alchemist <laughs> as much as I do is going to love oh, a card uh, like
1: this. Did you get to put a curiosity on it yet?
0: I haven't put a curiosity on it, but I have had three of them on the battlefield at once. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, that's pretty sick. That's basically a curiosity on one. Uh, I did actually get to put a curiosity on one. My opponent, I can't remember if uh, they... I think they just killed it right away, uh, which that that's what you're supposed right. to do. Um, <laughs> it's that yeah, so basically <laughs> pretty much. There's also a, a potential fourth mocking sprite in this one, but I'd gotten one of them on the wheel earlier, so it didn't seem like anyone else is interested. So really what we're looking at here and uh, a Goblin Bombardment, well, on color for red, very off vector. This deck isn't making yeah. tokens or anything. That card is nuts, though. I played it in a red-white deck without even a lot of rat generation, and it was just still good. It basically turns all of your opponent's removal spells down by like 70% because now you get to start flinging your creatures in response to all their stuff. It's just a good effect to have in play. Uh, also yeah. pairs well with uh, turn against effects, of which there are a handful and uncommon in the set. But really what this boiled down to me uh, here, I think Johan is good enough. Um, and the question here was, do I take a second Johan? Uh, which I do think is instrumental for the bl- the blue-red decks, to kind of maintain their card advantage to the late game casting uh, uh adventures off the top of your library does work so yep. i have a few here with the uh, hearth elemental as the kind of the biggest one uh twining twins to a lesser extent so a yohan a second one would be great but look i have fixing i have the ability to play black and i could even maybe cast that that off color white part using the prophetic prism and the crystal grotto should i take the sugar Mall here
0: so I don't like the Grotto as much for that effect as I do the Prophetic Prism, because obviously the Grotto itself is a land, so really that effect is costing you mana to activate, whereas something like Prophetic Prism is, the the Prism itself is almost acting as a filter land. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't like using Grotto off, like, to, to splash in that way, but... The problem with with the Sugar Maw here is that it's not just a black splash, it's a double black splash. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit trickier to deal with than just saying, oh, I can cast this Twining Twins adventure off of my prism because you need one white for that. The Sugar Maw, and if the Sugar Maw comes down late, it's still fantastic. Like if it comes down on turn six, it's still a six-six menace trample, right? Like it's not really the end of the world if you can't play it on curve, but I think synergistically, and this is something I've noticed with this set, which we'll probably get into in a little bit. Colors almost don't matter in this format; like they are not the guiding. It's not that they don't matter, but they're not the guiding pillars. What's what's really guiding you is the vector direction that you're you're putting mm-hmm. together. Because we were kind of talking about early, like similarly, like the Goblin Bombardment. This is a very obvious example of this, but it's a red card. You'd think it fits in the blue red deck or any red deck, really, and it just doesn't. And you put that in this deck, and sure, you may be able to hit your opponent for an extra one or two damage, but like it's not what you want to be doing in this deck. The question is, is Sugar Maul what you want to be doing in this deck? And I think it could be considered a win condition for a deck like this, but probably a deck like this cares more about controlling the board getting rid of your opponent's threats and then just beating down in the air and, and winning eventually with flyers. So I would be leaning more towards the Johan here or again, potentially the catapult. Um, but I th- think probably just second Johan's better and those catapults can, can wheel relatively regularly. So mm. um, I think I'd pass on the sugar maw here.
1: Now I have another argument for sugar maw. What if I cut red the hearth elemental, the flick a coin, Uh, the rotisserie elemental and then i splash the torch the towers Uh, and then i wind up with this black deck splashing white for the adventure side of the sugar mall and the twining twins now if i had seen enough evidence for black cards coming my way such that i thought i could backdoor into blue black fairies maybe splashing a red card here or there i don't know torch the tower is that good uh and you don't necessarily need it on turn one although it is best on turn one that's you know, kind of the strength of it. You can kill like a, a hasty tutu with it. Right. Ash. That's a great example. Yep.
0: I took the sugar maw here and well, I think I will it was say, wrong. <laughs> Okay. So, so I have a couple things to say there, right? Like I yeah. think one thing I have and, and listener, this is something very valuable I think for you as well. We're operating, we meaning myself and the listener are operating with only what we see on screen or what we've heard you talk about, Ben. We don't have mm-hmm. the context of the rest of the draft, and we're not deep, but we're well into pack three at this point. So there's two whole packs of context we don't have for this draft. Yeah. You, you did mention you got kind of maybe the spellstorm Coven uh, pack one, and then some of the other stuff came through mid-pack two if black was super open, I could see an argument for maybe just saying like, well, maybe I'll just drop red and play the sugar mall, but the sugar mall doesn't fit super well in blue, black fairies. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's again, it's like, it's a great card in a vacuum. And it's, it's again, four mana, six, six mana is trample really, really good. But like, yeah, the fairies deck isn't making a ton of tokens. Usually it's not necessarily making a ton of enchantments, though you do have a good bit of roll generation in that deck. So it's like, how often are you keeping the Sugar Maw untapped? Well, I'm not sure. And then you are giving up some really good cards in Torsa Tower and the the Rotisserie elemental, mm-hmm. even the Hearth Elemental in in red if you drop those. So I still don't think Sugar Maw fits very well in the blue black deck. So I, I would be hesitant to take it there thinking I might end up in that. I think if I was Leaning towards uh, blue-black fairies, I might actually just take the Hopeless Nightmare that's in this pack mm. instead. And also in the
1: bargain stuff, make it a small game.
0: Right, I, think, I really think Sugar Maul is, is one of those cards that, while phenomenal, is only phenomenal in a very specific vector, and I think that actually is a, a theme across the whole set. There are such narrow vectors in this set, and while there are, I think, more than we're used to seeing... If you if you veer off of any of those vector directions even a little bit, your deck plummets in viability. So I don't know that it's worth trying to jam the Sugar mall in. I'd probably just stick with Johan, keep my tight red-blue thing, and maybe end up in Blue-Black Fairies, but no, I don't think I'd be that disappointed to not have Sugar Maul if I was in that deck. I have no notes.
1: I did take the sugar mall, And for the exact reasoning that you mentioned, that's why I believe it was a mistake. Uh, Here I can show you my final deck real quick. This is what I ended up with. And as you can see, this deck is sorely missing a second, Johan. It would have absolutely played it over this Galvanic Giant, which is just, I mean, it doesn't really belong in this deck. Um, The cool thing was I could make storm reading kind of cheap because I had four mocking sprites. But look, I had two Flicka coins, I had a quick study a bunch of picklock pranksters towards the three towards the towers playing that off the top with a second Johan it would have made the deck I don't know 30% better to have it so uh, again learn from my mistakes
0: all right on to our teferi tibble this is our roses and thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week Ben what's going on I feel like you haven't gone first in a while You should take this one. All right. All right. Uh, For my Teferi, I am getting back into sort of a morning routine. I think I may have mentioned a few episodes ago that my morning routine got kind of shafted this summer and I basically didn't have one at all. And my morning is when I get all of my most productive stuff done. So without that, uh, my day's productivity kind of plummets. Um, Finally, getting back into that, which is great. And I have a, a, a big trip upcoming. Um, by the time this episode drops, I will be prepping to leave. Um, but I'll be going to Zion National Park for about eight days with a dozen guys. And uh, it's going to be good fun. Very cool. Haven't been there. That's um, what state is that one in? Utah. Yeah,
1: cool. Yeah. Utah is sick.
0: Yeah, we're going to fly out. Uh, we spend one night in Vegas and then we'll drive out, hit the Hoover Dam and then drive out to Zion. And then we might take a day and go down to the Grand Canyon. Um, but we're out there for eight days just hiking, seeing nature. And um, it's a part of the country I've never been to. So very excited to uh, to get to see it. Yeah, it, it's sick out there. If you can hit the Grand Canyon, I, I highly recommend it. And my Tibble is that I am super hungry, man. I, I guess I'm not eating enough. I, I started this like five day a week workout routine, which is less strenuous than I thought it was going to be. Like I thought going to the gym five days a week was going to be a nightmare, but I've actually been really enjoying it, but clearly I'm burning a bit more and I added some cardio to my workouts, which I haven't been doing. So clearly I'm burning more than I'm used to burning. And, uh, yeah, my calorie intake right now is not enough to keep up, so I need to fix that because <laughs> I'm hungry every day, all day. I think I'll start with my tibble. Uh,
1: I need I need a better shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> what? Which, yeah, I, I need a I need a better shampoo. I some I've gone through like three or four different types of shampoo. Uh, this doesn't make a lot of sense if you don't know what I look like. Um, people that are watching on on Spotify have already seen, but. Uh, to the listener, I have probably past shoulder length hair at this point. And every once in a while, I just kind of feel my hair. and I'm like, man, this shampoo sucks. I need something better. <laughs> so any listeners with long hair, uh, I am I am fully open to your recommendations. Uh, I'm using natural right now. I've used Shea Moisture in the past. Na- Nature? Natural? You know, I it's something like that. Uh, I, I know think my mom's I like a hairdresser, right? Most. Oh, yeah, that's right. You should ask her. <laughs> I forgot that. <laughs> yeah. I can
0: I can definitely ask her for recommendations. Yeah, like for semi wavy to
1: curly, more on the wavy end. But yeah, interested in, in Rex because I don't know, sometimes it just doesn't feel. Anyway, uh, my theory my is that there's been some good TV shows on lately and some good movies that I'm excited coming up. Uh, Actually, just today, a new trailer dropped for Killers of the Flower Moon, the new Scorsese movie that is going to be I mean, I can't believe Oppenheimer is going to have competition at the Oscars like that's (laughs) that that's where I think we're at The Killers of the Flower Moon looks awesome. Uh, Very excited for that one. And I've been enjoying fiota and Cake, the Adventure Time spinoff sequel type of deal. Uh, if anyone is watching that, let me know what you think of it so far uh, in the Discord, because I've been enjoying it. Adventure Time is... is uh, Look, you grow up with a show, and when it ages with you in such a, a great way, that one's an all-timer. So happy to see that they've done uh, good stuff with the source material.
0: All right, on to our listener question of the week. And this week, Ratafia asks, or really says, I guess... We've seen Wizards reprint a number of cards in bonus sheets lately. What product would they print limited-only Power 9 in? Hmm.
1: Now, That's print, an interesting question. I think print might not be it. If anything, I could see this be digital because, look, Oracle of the Alpha. I, I tweeted this out a while back, and it got some traction on Twitter with people saying, yeah, when, when are they going to just put the Power 9 in the cube or, or toss it in some format on arena. Maybe just just for one day. You know, just all I ask is one day they give us historic no ban list with a full power nine. Because let's be honest, that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be they so did much give us fun. historic
0: no ban lists. That they did that is coming did. or did come. I can't remember which because I don't play historic, but I do remember reading about yeah. it.
1: Now, I'm not asking for, like, no holds barred. Give it, like, the uh, the legacy vintage, um, or rather the vintage ban list, right, and the vintage restricted list. Make it, you know, restricted to one copy of the Power 9 uh, per deck or something like that. But, I mean, that's kind of what Oracle of or the Alpha does anyway. They're so close to to putting it in something. What I could see, and I don't like this idea, but what I think the most likely version of this would be is a digital only set akin to the Baldur's Gate kind of re digitization where they changed a bunch of cards. I would see it as the bonus so sheet in a yeah, and like an alchemy draft a uh, the bonus sheet in a digital alchemy only draft format. And I think that would be an absolute mess. It would be absurd. It would be ridiculous. You'd have people posting screenshots of their opponent land Lotus mocks 5-mana five 5-5, five five, just with no to other text, just vanilla 5-mana five 5-5, five five, and that will win 90% of games that, that happens in. Uh, and yet that'll happen. It'll be like a version of the Vintage Cube. I, I think, if anything, it'll be kept digital because when you talk Power 9, you talk the reserve list. And when you get to the reserve list, Wizards, they get, they, get, they get very clammy about it.
0: Yeah, and, and for those who don't know, I, the reserve list is kind of this weird, like, I don't even know that it's, like, a real list. I guess it's a real it's list. It's like a legal
1: document, right?
0: All, yeah, almost, yeah. It basically, like, it's Wizards saying we're never reprinting these cards, and, like, that. that's kind of it. Um, I don't know. It's really wonky. Though, Ratafia asks about it in, in a limited capacity, so we. I don't think you would ever see this in, like, a bonus sheet because I don't expect Wizards to ever print a set that actually comes to print in paper with a different bonus sheet or different cards in it on digital. Mm-hmm. I think the most likely would be that they just add it to the arena cube and there's no problem with that at all because it's a random draft. You don't yeah. keep the cards. What well, doesn't impact any of the other formats? I'd be in for that. It's essentially getting us just closer to vintage cube on arena, which. They should do anyway. (laughs) I I would absolutely love an arena
1: cube with the power nine. I would, I would take the losses to turn one rekindling Phoenix because every once in a while I would get the turn one rekindling Phoenix (laughs) or turn one uh, Chandra or, or turn one like Lily even, or just, just turn one. I don't know. You can't do that much broken stuff because we don't have as many wheels on arena. We don't have as many like draw sevens on arena. So you can't do the truly busted stuff and like exploration um, fast bond. These, these no, but they should really just put symmetry.
0: Like, they should just put literal vintage cube on <laughs> arena.
1: <laughs> uh, I would be over the moon. If you like, told me I could vintage cube while like in the bathroom at work, <laughs> that is the every
0: limited aficionado's well, dream, now. right? You just need to bring your laptop into the toilet with you. <laughs> <Look>. <laughs> Without getting here's serious, the let's add that asterisk. Here's the thing. They, they've done this whole, like, we print a set, you can draft with that set, then shortly thereafter we reprint the set with alchemy adjustments and you can draft that or you can draft the original. Yeah. What they should do is just put Vintage Cube on Arena as it is on MTGO, you don't have to maintain two separate versions of the cube. Just one vintage cube that goes up on both. And then keep the arena cube as, like, here's where we put alchemy in cube. And leave it as, you know, do what they do with that as they do. Um, and I think that would be totally awesome. And I would love that. And they should do it. Wizards, do it. Mero, <laughs> we know you're a fan of the show. We know you listen. <laughs> do it.
1: <laughs> the only other place I can imagine this happening is maybe in an alternative draft format where the cards would be functionally the power nine, but not actually the power nine. So that's something like a mm. conspiracy set an unset something like that. Maybe they make an un card where, uh, it has like the power nine. I'm picturing like, uh, two, I guess like a tic-tac-toe board and it has the power nine and you circle the one on it that you want to be, you'd mostly go with time walk Lotus and ancestral, I guess, but maybe, maybe you really want to mox for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and, and then you get to like play with that card in your, in your unset deck and people laugh and they're like, okay, or maybe it has some kind of like funny downside. Like uh, w- while you, uh, have certain cards on the table and unsets like you have to balance something on your head. Like if you if you play a black lotus, you have to balance five cards on your head or something like that. I don't know. I, I could see them pulling some nonsense like that in conspiracy. They might be able to template it such that it's a functional reprint, but that it's only applicable in a conspiracy like multiplayer format. Maybe even something with like Commander Legends. Although I guess those are more specifically for Commander reprints, and they certainly wouldn't reprint the Power Nine for that. I don't know. What do you think? Any other potential ways they could sneak it in?
0: Yeah, I think you just get... You run into some really weird kind of dilemmas when you start talking about printing them in paper. Even functional reprints, if you're introducing them... I mean, outside of just, like, pre-banding those cards, you're you're kind of running into these, like, weird issues where, like, well, we don't actually want to introduce this effect in Commander, let's say, but we want to try to bring this experience to Limited so we just print this like functional reprint, like you're saying that like maybe it's a conspiracy, so it's not actually legal in other formats, but they are legal in commander, I think. Are they legal in commander? No, conspiracies so. aren't. No. So maybe there's a conspiracy that says uh, on the first turn of the game, you get a black lotus or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is arguably way more powerful than black lotus, but <laughs> <laughs> um, or maybe you flip a coin and if it lands a certain way, you get you get a lotus. Um, That'd be funny. That'd be really good, too. <laughs> yeah well i don't know something like that maybe but they'd have to do it in such a way that it doesn't actually impact constructed formats that they don't want those cards in without Mm -hmm. just again pre-banning them or whatever
1: i would actually be all for conspiracies that somehow gave you power nine cards because we do have conspiracies in the draft chaff cube some of which have been purported to be pretty busted we
0: can't put we can't put power nine in the draft chaff cube we just can't (laughs) do it Oh, you can't put it in your version, but <laughs> it's not going in the official version. That's for sure. All right, I'm all using right. my veto power on that one. <laughs> if you're trying to tell me the the Power Nine is draft chaff, I'm about to slap you upside the head. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wouldn't be the literal Power Nine, but uh, oh my, yeah, whatever. okay. <laughs> Let's get on to some first impressions with Wilds of Eldraine. The way we're going to kind of structure this conversation, Ben and I will walk through the the vectors that at least have stood out to us, um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. We don't. I don't think we'll walk through every single vector. There are quite a few of them, and um, most of them are kind of straightforward, but there are quite a few that are not. So we'll talk through some of our standouts and some of the ones that disappointed us. And then just a bunch of different interactions that we've come across and some other thoughts, uh, kind of random thoughts on the format so far um uh, so why don't we just start with the vectors ben
1: yeah let's start with probably the best couple of vectors in the set at least from our experience this is the Jund set i think you you can do some good jundy stuff but that's not to say that it's all one Jund vector it's just the Jund color pairs that happen to be overperforming and i think a big part of that are the efficient black and red removal spells that enable good decks so obviously black red rats when you just dump a hand full of rats onto the board, you, you go so wide that if your opponent plays, I don't know, a 5-5 five, five ETV, the, uh, the giant that makes a, a food, by the time they would get to the next turn to untap, crack that food and stabilize, they've already died because you've just gone so wide, attacked with so many things. And there's even some uh, enchanting tales that help, such as impact tremors, uh, raid bombardment, and uh, goblin bombardment is by far the best of these uh, so much better than the other ones. But it just what, what this rats deck can do, it can just hit the board so much quicker and it can play to the board while still having super efficient removal spells uh, in towards the tower and
0: um, candy grapple candy grapple. Yeah, things like that. Yeah, I will say um, the jun deck or I, really the, the black red rats deck is quite interesting because to your point, it is very aggressive. And it has things that it can do other than just throw rats in the red zone. You can, you know, you're as you mentioned, there's, you know, things like Goblin Mabarro. You can sack them to ping your opponent, which still gets in for the one damage if they suddenly can't attack anymore because they do get blanked pretty quickly. Um, yeah. But there are other cards like Totentans that, that can do different things to make them easier to attack. Um, tons of Bargain lets you kind of leverage those rats later on when they're no longer useful in the red zone. I will say, though... My favorite deck in the format, and we'll get to more detail about this deck, is red white. And red white loves playing against black red decks because their rats can't actually block. So if you're in a race, <laughs> and and they're That's only one ones, so you're often the red white decks often playing bigger creatures than one ones. Um, mm. And I've noticed I actually like a lot of times my opponents like play the adventure side of Rat Catcher Trainee, make a couple rats, and I'm just like cool. Thanks. I'm glad you took your turn to do that. I'm just going to no full swing. Right. Yeah. You have no blocks. I'm just going to full swing and your rats yeah. are not going to kill me faster than my, you know, soldiers or knights or whatever are going to kill you. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing about the, this rats deck, I
1: think it's kind of skill testing. You have to know when your rats should die. There's mm-hmm. a certain sense of holding back, right? And And holding back and saying, well, Yeah, they have this 5-5, and they're going to get to eat my biggest thing, but I'll get in for 4 damage. And is that worth losing my 2-3? With the Rats deck, you need to know when it is and when it isn't. Because sometimes, and I think more usually than not, it is. This Vector really lends itself to putting your opponent to as low a life total as possible. I found the turn against effects to be um, fine in this deck too, just because they remove a blocker and provide an extra attacker. And you care so much about just chipping in for these little chunks of damage that you can probably leverage a, a good turn where they leave back two blockers. And then all of a sudden you have an extra attacker and they've one less blocker. Uh, I actually find, uh, was it? Ariat's charming apple. I played it in a mm. black red deck in a rat's deck, uh, with no sacrifice outlets, just as a turn against effect with a bolt stapled to it, because you can pay three tap sack to make your opponent lose three life. And once you got your opponent low enough, it provided some late game reach that I think the rats deck uh, does need. You do need a way to push through for that last couple points of damage um, before your opponent does get to untap and start sacking their food. But I found th- the best board states for black red are ones where you have like seven rat tokens and just like a blue green, relatively fair, but rampy deck. Even ramping just can't put that many blockers out in enough time or, or even gain enough life to, to stabilize.
0: Yeah, and those red black decks can generate rats. The good ones and the ones that are really tight can generate rats much fast. Typically when we see those like scenarios where maybe you're going really wide and your opponent is trying to go tall, something like and I actually have a great example uh that I'll follow up with, but when you when you see those situations a lot of times it's not beneficial to attack because they're just going to pick off one of your attackers every turn and you won't kill them fast enough to make it make a difference really. Uh and you're just losing your creatures. In this format, it actually seems like the black red decks can generate rats fast enough that losing a rat a turn to their six five blocker actually is not a problem at all. And yeah. you're just chipping in for five, six damage a turn. You're making that rat back up at, you know, with a rat out or again the rat catcher trainees, adventure or something like that, and just incidentally adding these rats to the board. Voracious Vermin has been a pretty linchpin three drop in that deck. I, I really like seeing that card in any of those black red decks, I'll take pretty much as many as I can get. Um, Two, three power uh, two three stats is kind of a little awkward because you do want, you'd almost rather be a three, two, but um, yeah, that's just a great card. ETB. It does a celebration thing. If you happen to have red cards that care about celebration, right. Um, It makes rats. It's yeah. It does everything you want. Tangled colony has been a really good rare in that deck. Mm, Um, Yeah. Pretty much any of the right. Yeah. You pretty much don't want it anywhere else. lord skidder you know all of these oh, like yeah they, they they all do the rats thing if it says rat on the card it belongs in the deck and is going to perform pretty well most likely but the example i was going to share was i was playing against a red black player uh who had and i was kind of in this weird spot where i didn't have i was playing a dirtily green uh green blue ramp deck and didn't get out a ton of blockers too quickly i think i had a living lectern and like Maybe one other thing, but they happen to have enough removal to kind of keep keep me at one creature or two creatures on board. They had maybe four rats on the board, and then I finally I was at maybe ten life. They had four rats and like maybe a voracious vermin or something, and I had one or two blockers. I finally got to six mana, cast my Balloon as Gatekeeper, say go. They slam Ariet's, uh Charming Apple. They got you for lethal. Yeah. I was just like, oh, okay. Uh, Yeah. If that's your top end, like if that's your win condition, that, just it just works. Yeah. You don't need to sacrifice a creature.
1: It's the perfect example of an on vector card, right? It it removes the blocker. It adds an attacker and it hits them for three. Sometimes Uh, I had a game where I chose to make a treasure with um, charming scoundrel, knowing Mm -hmm. that then on turn five, I could uh, slam the apple and then activate it in the same turn because that was a turn five kill with, with that play. Um, something else about the Rats deck, when you're playing against it, I guess having played with it a couple times, uh, it's not good to have a small board. You want to have as many things attacking as possible. So when you're playing against the Rats deck, think about what has to happen for you to stay alive. You need to make some tough trades. That means sometimes you're going to have to trade your 2-1 with the rat. And that doesn't feel good. And maybe it puts a counter on their their uh, vermin, right? But maybe you know that your only real out here is the top deck removal spell for the vermin. And that, you know, putting that, that counter on there is just what it's going to have to come down to.
0: Yeah, yeah, they, they really care about creature density in that deck and getting their board to basically not have creatures on it is kind of your number one priority uh, when you're playing against them. It's not always the easiest uh, or more, most straightforward matchup playing against black red in this format. There There is mm-hmm. a lot of nuance to that deck and it can be. I don't want to say easy to shut down, but it, it can be straightforward to shut down. You just need your cards to line up right and you need to make good decisions when you're when you're playing against them because that that vector is one of the very tight ones that is like just doing its thing it's very linear and well. I say linear, but it does have all the removal in the world. So (laughs) I guess it's not super linear. Yeah.
1: The thing is, there are some messy vectors in this set. And there are some cards that have significant off-vector application. You can have a black-red deck that can maybe grind a little bit in the late game, but maybe not so much as other sets. I'm still kind of figuring out the the width of these vectors, we'll call it. Uh, How narrow the vectors are. This one is fairly narrow, but, you know, if this deck happens to land something like a Dark Tutelage, sure, it can grind.
0: Yeah, it just gets outclassed, I think, though. Like, the rats don't hold up very well in the late game. If your opponent can start start playing big creatures, then eventually it just gets outclassed, because, again, they can't block. So it's not like you've got a bunch of uh, decayed tokens lying around that, like, well, I guess those couldn't block either, but, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you don't have a bunch of random tokens sitting around that are going to actually like stop your opponent's six fives and four threes and whatever from getting through. Eventually, yeah. if your opponent has a big enough board, you can't attack into it and you can't block them from attacking you. So once they've got lethal on board, they can just full swing. It you're dead. Yeah,
1: that's true. A lot of the value of the deck is in placing a bunch of non blockers onto the battlefield. You can win against the black red deck if you just land a well-timed Hamlet glutton. And then they're at like 12 from you chipping in throughout the game. And then they go, oh, uh, I guess I'm just dead (laughs) because I can't race that. Uh, Let's uh, let's chat about a, a similar deck that involves some similar cards, but is basically the other end of the vector spectrum. And that's black green. Now, the funny thing is, I think the black commons and uncommons tie these vectors together. There's just such efficient removal spells and efficient interaction but black green we can talk about the food vector specifically but as with a lot of the green decks in this format it can involve these multicolored, splashy piles or or what have you but the black green food deck specifically uh it's it's very solid and food in this uh in this set this vector is much stronger than food in uh in lord of the rings so get the lord of the rings like white green Hobbit food deck out of your head. This is where food's at. If you haven't had a, a Greta active against you, uh, Greta is the black green uncommon. ETBs to make a food. You can pay green to sack a food and put a counter on something at sorcery speed, or you can pay one of the black sack of food to draw a card and lose a life. I- I've had games where you're in these like kind of mid rangey grindy decks, and maybe I'm playing like uh, blue black or something. And I'm running a little low. I'm like drawing my fairies in the late game. My opponent slams a Greta. And I look and I see they have three food. I'm like, oh, I guess I just lose. <laughs> like they're going to draw immediately three cards off of this thing. It's a really good piece in the late game for that. Plus it stabilizes early. Uh, I, I used the Greta to trade off against a red white deck earlier today where they attacked me with a three one mouse. Uh, I just Put a Greta in front of it. <laughs> I, I didn't care. I knew my late game would be so much better than the red-white deck's late game that just getting me to it was worth the card out of Greta.
0: Yeah, Greta's been phenomenal. Um I will say so just, just kind of throwing out there in terms of win rates, black green is up there as one of the the high the most winning two-color decks right now. Um actually above Rakdos and well, above a lot of the others, um, it's really only behind Boros Red White at this point um, wow. at the time of recording. So th- I think that that caters to what you're probably supposed to be doing more than anything else in this format, and that's bargaining. Black has tons of bargain cards and tons of ways to make cards that you can bargain away. And green has tons of bargain, bargain cards and also tons of cards that you can bargain away as well. So they, they marry very well together. And I think that leads to kind of being able to do this mid-rangey kind of stem the bleeding against the aggro decks early and then also just go way over the top in the late game against the decks that are going big. You can still battle with both and you have access to all sorts of crazy stuff in terms of ramp to get you to like, yeah, ramp out your big creatures early. You've got all that removal in black that is really good and you have access to a bunch of creatures in both colors that that fight well or do um or act as removal spells functionally like things like Fawnsbane troll and such like that um black green's been a fun one but i think it's it's one of the more difficult ones to put together in a in a good version of it right like i've seen a handful of those decks that just don't feel very good and they just seem to be dirtily and aren't really doing anything um i've seen a few that are quite tight and seem to have a really strong vector all all the cards are kind of doing their thing and i think that's the name of the game in this format overall is really like every card in your deck needs to synergize with every other card in your deck you can't really have just like these one-off cards and that's kind of what i was getting at with the sugar maw decision um you can't just really have these mm-hmm. like one-off cards that seem good but don't actually do anything with the rest of your cards
1: right who would have thought vector theory applies again the tighter your vector the better uh, we should shout out the uh, Gingerbread Hunter. I think that one can really tie this black-green deck together because it For does sure. what the deck wants to do. It interacts early with a solid removal spell and a puny snack, the minus two, minus two. And then you just slam a five out of five, five, ETB make a food later. Sometimes when it works out, you end up just slamming the five out of five, five. Maybe your opponent has a bunch of one threes and there's no way to, to leverage that minus two, minus two. Uh, but this is one of the top 15 cards in the set right now on 17 lands. That's an uncommon, on par with some of the best rares in the set. Uh, so it's definitely a high pick, and it's also pretty easily splashable. Maybe if you're in like a blue-green deck, you can definitely splash that Puny Snack, or maybe if you're, I don't know, splashing green cards is always a little weird, but you can be in blue-black and splash this card. Now, uh, at this point, I think we should address red-white, because currently the fourth best card in the set by Game & Hand win rate is Immodane's Recruit. Recruiter. Imo Dane's Recruiter. Yeah, we, we did call this one as being pretty busted, and uh, we, we were right. This card is awesome. It is just a I, giant heroic reinforcements. I still think we
0: undervalued it in the format. I, I agree. Yeah. As, as like, good as we thought it was, we didn't know. We were pretty high on it, but it is so backbreaking in this format. I mean, the fact that you get to split it up over two turns, it generates those two attackers for you, which can also be bargained away if you need them to be they help set up good blocks and attacks Those things have vigilance um and then it just comes down again so it's three bodies buffs your whole board they're just like even with your opponent knowing the buff is coming it's it's not a, it's it. not enough yeah you, they they just can't do anything w- about it and those decks i mean imine recruiter is a finisher in pretty much every red white deck if you're if you're not Basically, don't pass this card. I I got one pack two pick six the other day, and I was just like, stop! <laughs> like, I wasn't even in red white, and I took it because I could play the white <laughs> side, and I, that's just fine.
1: Yeah, like if you're in blue white, you would still take this card. You'd play the white half, and then you'd splash the red. I mean, I do want to see which uh, maybe Sirkovitz can cook up some data for us about. Uh, I'm curious about whether playing the front half versus playing the uh, the back half, the adventure versus the regular. Uh, about the comparison of win rates between which you play first, um, but red white, I, I had one good red white deck so far. Uh, I, I feel like I've been leaning into a lot of the the bigger foods, flashy decks, uh, but I, I did get one solid red white deck. And just looking at the cards, it looks like such a pile. Uh, I'm playing like two mana three ones with like not too many abilities. These like celebrate things. Just yep. one mana two one mice, and I'm like there's no way this deck can put together wins in a modern limited format. And yet every and single it just time does. it just does, you just can blaze over your opponent trying to do these slower things. When your opponent takes turn two off to play a prophetic prism and then turn three to play a ramp spell or something, or like a saga that has minimal effect on the board, or even just like a three, three there's ways that the red white deck can attack clean through it. And I think this comes down to something I mentioned in the format breakdown, which is that rolls are a sneakily aggressive mechanic. You don't see them coming. They're a permanent buff, and you get to pick where they go. And because they're all sorcery speed, doing them pre-combat gives you the ability to manipulate the battlefield into into a battlefield where you have the most optimal attacks. So there's a whole sub mechanic in this set just for making your attacks better it does make sense that red white will be able to leverage that the best right
0: yeah and i'll also say red white predominantly generates young hero roles and so yeah. there's like weird dirtily like you know you're you're the the rats with celebration that become three threes but are otherwise three ones where young hero rolls so well because <laughs> yeah. young hero only checks toughness so yeah you just like you can just do some really nuts stuff with those with those cards and sure at some point the young hero rolls get a little awkward but then you just bargain them away (laughs) yeah and honestly those decks you're very you're pretty much focused on playing like like a typical red white deck you kind of want to go like one drop two drop but then on three and four you almost never want to play a single card you either want to remove a blocker if that's the only thing you're going to do that turn or hold up double spelling to hit trigger Celebration, which is actually quite a bit easier to do than I expected it to be in this format, to be honest with you. Um, and then you just, yeah, you just turn five, uh, train some troops, turn six, you just slam recruiter and win the game. That's <laughs> just how it goes.
1: What you mentioned about turn four being big, um, I've, I've been more impressed with some of these junker looking red and white commons than I thought I would be. Uh, Mary Bards, for example, just the yep. three mana, three, two surprisingly good. Yeah. etv pay one and you can make a, a young hero role. turns out young hero is so much better in these red, white decks than I gave it credit for that, that in itself makes this worth paying four mana for it's a 4-mana f- 3-2 that puts this really good aura on one of your creatures. You get to pick where it goes. You get to leverage this uh, double trigger, so you get celebration happening, uh, which bumps up your other stuff, and then you can maybe put this on a flyer. Uh, I've also been impressed by the boon, Archon's Glory, the 1-mana white instant uh, with bargain, and it gives 2-2, two, two, and you can give something flying lifelink. Now, this is a really good combat trick, just 1-mana 2-2. Two, two that will do things. I have closed out games in Red White just by using this to attack in in the air for a couple just as you know I kind of figured that's how this uh this would work. But something particular about Red White that I noticed is that there are these sneaky ways to make two permanents in a turn that your opponent can't see coming. So, uh, Monstrous Rage, the red combat trick that gives a creature 2o and uh adds a, a monster roll to it. If you let let's say maybe it's turn 4 you play like a 3-2 pre-combat and then you leave a red up and you attack with your creatures, right? Maybe you attack with a mouse at a celebration uh, or maybe the, there's the 2-mana uh, two 2-2 two, two, where, where with celebration it gets 1-1 um, one, one and trample, the Merry Revelers, whatever it's called. If you attack with one of those and you have this monstrous rage up and you have one ETB already, then when you make that monster roll token, that gives you your second, uh, your second permanent entering, right? On a combat trick, That your opponent probably doesn't see coming because opponents they'll usually think about the usual combat tricks right oh like red it gives uh three one yeah yeah but what they might not realize is that they're making that extra permanent too so you can get in for like seven points of damage out of nowhere if they just don't see it coming and sometimes you just fire it off when you know they can't block or they don't have any blockers up or they're tapped out and you just get in for like five extra damage off of one of these dorky little two mana three ones or two mana two twos uh, just by kind of leveraging these these instants that make permanents. Right. On the flip side, there are also permanents that make instants in adventures. So uh, I found looking at my land spell creature ratio to be very interesting in this format. You really have to dig deep you could have a blue red deck with 15 creatures in it because so many of those creatures have adventures on them. You could have a red white beatdown deck with only 11 creatures. Maybe you have 3 copies of the Hopeful Vigil, right? The uh the enchantment that ESTV used to make a 2/2. Or uh maybe you have other weird things like Monster's Rage which sneakily make an extra permanent. It, it, this makes the celebration mechanic play out a lot better than I expected and it's pretty trivial to do it although i will say my opponents always seem to have more luck having celebration online than i do but that that's just magic right
0: yeah i guess so i i, I agree though it is a lot easier to to set up celebration than i originally gave it credit for and then you have cards that are like well i i guess not the most efficient things to be doing something like stockpiling celebrant is just gonna be great like bouncing your uh, hope, your hopeful vigil With a stockpile celebrant is just phenomenal. Like you just feel really good doing that because you can almost always play them in the same turn, trigger all your celebration stuff. That feels a little awkward because you're playing three permanents that turn, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Stockpiling celebrant is one that I, I want
1: to go deeper on. I haven't gone super deep on it yet, but it's so close to being a three mana, three, two draw card. And that is basically my favorite card. (laughs) <laughs> that's I, I love that's that kind of thing uh a white creature that draws a card on an ATB and in the right deck this does you can use it to get back like a prophetic prism you can use it to maybe the most brutal is with princess takes flight when you bounce that it just leaves the creature exiled we'll chat about that card in a bit princess takes flight is such a busted broke uh, uh build around in, in some decks uh Red, white, it, it is really performing well. I, I, and I want to keep drafting it and get some more reps in with it because I think I was undervaluing some of these cards that admittedly look bad <laughs> on, their, on their surface. I think uh, now I've had them recontextualized with slightly better format knowledge. Um, I'd like to try some of these piles again. We should, un- we should probably talk about its sad cousin, blue, white, though, right? <laughs>
0: I'm yeah, it's depressing. Uh blue light is not good. It's it's got this very weird and actually there was a, a phenomenal thread put out today by Jason ILG, I think, on Twitter. And uh Jason like breaks down sort of why this vector didn't work out. And essentially it boils mm-hmm. down to this, right? It cares about all these tapping effects, most of which are temporary, not permanent, and Anybody who's played a tempo deck in any format ever knows that if you're using temporary removal spells, which the tappers essentially are, you need to capitalize on them with with damage pressure or like red zone pressure. The problem is red uh, blue white can't do that. Blue white doesn't have enough good attackers to make it viable to tap down your opponent's stuff and then capitalize on that by getting in the red zone and pressuring their life total. Mm-hmm. Most of your like good really the only like good attacker in that deck is the uh the ice rot sentry, which is the two three that you can pay two when it attacks to tap something down and then it gets uh it becomes a four-four and it has that's something like that's a phenomenal attacker it's an uncommon though so you're yeah like, you're lucky if you've got one of them in your deck there are a few yeah. others, but basically all the celebration cards are bad in this deck They're, The deck can 't do enough to keep celebrating over and over again. You have this weird mix between like wanting to pin down your opponent 's creatures but then also uh like keep up counter magic so you can kind of get rid of your opponent 's big stuff that you can't otherwise permanently deal with mm-hmm. and it just feels weird and I, and I just have to say like I was on blue white for a little while like i was hopeful that it was going to be good and people just hadn't found the version of it that worked but like i played against a blue white deck that had everything it had ice rot Sentries, it had hilda it had hilda's golden crown it had like (laughs) it had everything and i handily beated them it was a relatively close game but i never really felt all that worried that i was going to lose ever
1: was this that one you posted in discord yeah yeah, that game was sick. <laughs> I highly recommend it awesome. if you haven't seen it. You gotta go check out that that game file. I actually posted a pretty good one too. So, so some very good games happening in this set, which I think this early in the format, we're both enjoying these these good games. That's a compliment to it. But yeah, I, I gotta say, uh, conversely, I did get wrecked by a Hilda. Uh, I was also playing a not that good deck though. So I, I want to say that maybe blue white will be the blue green scry deck of the format. Where Blue, Green, Scry and Lord of the Rings, I love that deck. And and when the pieces came together, it was so cool. It was so much fun to play. And I still feel like I would have a lot of fun playing this nonsense Tappy Tappy deck. But I'm not going to lean into it, right? If I see a charade, I'm going to value it a little lower than maybe I would have before. Am I still going to slam a pack one Pick-1 Hilda? Absolutely. Because I want to try this. And, you know, I, I... My heart's not as frozen as hers. So uh, I do want to try this at some point. But I'm okay conceding that there are better things to do with your white decks than than trying to tap your opponent's stuff.
0: Now, and this, but this kind of goes into what we were talking about with the kind of weird vector narrowness, I suppose, within this set. And that is like most of the white cards in this deck. Don't fit in the red white deck and vice versa. That's true. They have yeah. two totally sets of white cards that they want in their decks, and mm-hmm. there's not really good overlap between the two. So, trying to run things like Armory Mice in your blue white deck isn't generally going to work out for you very well. Yeah. And, and that Ice Rot, it's not Ice Rot Sentry.
1: Is it the one in the white, two, two, three to tap? No, that's or I think it's Frostbridge Guard. Frostbridge Guard, yeah. Uh, that, you don't want that probably doesn't decks. perform well. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just a two-two, it can't grow. Sure, a tapper's fine, but three is awfully expensive. Yeah. Uh
0: how about blue red spells? Have you gotten a chance to play this one? I did play a blue red spells deck. It wasn't the optimal version of the deck. Um, and it did quite medium, I would say. Like it wasn't awful, it wasn't amazing, but there were definitely draws where I was like, oh man, I can't lose this game. And there were some draws where I was like, well, I better hope to draw into whatever. But then, you know, you have quick studies and Johan's gaps and things to churn to through your deck a little bit. It does feel like that deck really does want at least one copy of Johan, if not more. Mm-hmm. And you you need ways to capitalize on um, the efficiency of, you know, your adventure spells and, and things like that to actually get your opponent dead. I will say the version of the deck that I played was the one that ran three copies of unruly catapult. And that's what won the game for me. Like the catapults mm-hmm. won the games that I won. Um, I'm not really sure how the deck wins otherwise. So I haven't quite figured out how the versions that don't have catapults get anywhere.
1: Funny enough, I'm actually a little lower on the catapults than I was at the start of the format. They're not performing very well data wise either. Uh, they're they're performing fine, but I think what this deck can do, blue-red, it, there's a couple vectors within it. Blue-red, I've also seen this like hyper-aggressive spell beatdown deck, maybe backed up by like good adventures. Uh, there's also this like more blue-red control deck. I mean, Johan's a 2-5, right? That thing's not beaten down anytime soon. You're winning the game by going super big, and then you're winning with like a hearth elemental and just outvaluing your opponents and then eventually landing a finisher, maybe even like a 3-4 flyer, um, something along those lines. Now, <laughs> funny enough, I think the uh what's it called? The Apprentice's Folly, which you can kind of pick up at uncommon level, because it feels like one is open to every couple drafts and basically nobody wants it except this one specific type of blue-red where you have access to bargain cards. That would be stuff like Johan's Stopgap or Torch the Tower are the best of the deck, but there's other ones. There's the one, um, uh, that one uh, wizard you can get that like snap cast something back to your hand or uh, I don't like the one that puts a cursed roll on one of your opponent's things, but hey, if you're playing best of three, sideboarding that against six-sixes is, is fine.
0: Yeah, the diminisher, but, uh, which is one that I was higher yeah, on at the beginning of the format, but uh, does, does come down for me, especially in those decks. It's a three-two, which is like fine, but those decks don't typically want to be too aggressive and putting a cursed roll on something, yeah, it's, it can be useful, but the, you really, in those decks, you want the Tome Seeker, the one that gets back instants and sorceries. Yeah, that's the one, the Tome Seeker.
1: So this Apprentice's Folly, that's the, uh, the four mana rare saga. When it ETVs, you make a token that's a copy of a non-token that you have that doesn't share the same name as something else. You get a copy of something you haven't copied before. Uh, you can make a copy of one of your creatures, and it gains haste. Cool effect. That's the first two chapters, and then the last chapter is you sack it, which is why I said it's good with bargain. Uh, oh, you, you sacrifice the Reflections and the, uh, the Folly. So if you can bargain it away before then, you get, I don't know, a couple 3-3 hasters or whatever the best thing on your board is uh it's not legendary so you can even make multiple johans or multiple ever other rare you you can get uh i like this card a lot in in particular blue red decks and that's the kind of thing that does help you go over the top in the late game i mentioned hearth elemental that also fulfills the same role even sometimes um the uh, the discard spell the format the uh, the one in the red put a wicked roll on something uh, discard a card draw two even that's fine but I found what really makes the blue red deck tick is uh, flick a coin this card is sick I love coin flicking uh, yeah th- this card is is really cool uh, that's the uh, the two in a red deal one damage to any target draw a card make a treasure and not only does that you know absolutely wreck some of these red white decks and red black decks. Uh, if you get to snipe their their vermin with this, the 2-1, you really got them. Snipe their mice with this, their 3-1. Boom, you got them. You're stable. It ramps you with the treasure, and it helps you splash off-color cards. Now, I should know, it helps you splash off-color, but on vector cards. Maybe something like a candy grapple, or another good instant or sorcery, or a finisher like the goose, the, the old uh, goose mother in this. That I think is actually a great finisher for the blue red deck. You can absolutely yep. put that in here with a couple of, uh, copies of, of, um, uh, the coin flick. So flick a coin. I, I I'm, I want to push it and see how many you can put in a deck before you hit diminishing returns on, you know, maybe they just play all one threes and then you're like, uh Oh, that's not good. But you can always put them at their face. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, that's a card that I've been low on though. Like I like what it does. I just don't know that I want to spend three mana on it. So, I mean, once you compare that, uh, combine that rather with like the the mocking sprites and such, then you're like, oh yeah, this just feels awesome. Um, it does a lot and I think it is pretty useful. I probably should be putting more of them in my blue red decks than I am. So I definitely will keep that in mind as I continue to draft the format. Um,
1: uh, would you believe me if I said it's the third best common? Just I don't think I grapple. would believe you, actually. <laughs> is it really? <laughs> Oh yeah, it goes uh, right now on seventeen lands. The uh, game in hand win rates. We've got torch the tower, candy grapple, then flick a coin. Below that is uh, cut in. That's the four mana red uh, deal wow. four make a young hero, and then hopeless nightmare, which also says something about the the format. That's the uh, black enchantment etb. They discard a card, they lose two. Below that is rat out, then hopeful vigil, then sweet tooth witch. So we are seeing some uh, some mardu supremacy here. Hamlet Glutton is actually the top green common just below that. It's what, six or seven down? And that makes sense because when cards like Torch the Tower, Candy Grapple, Flick a Coin are good, Hamlet Glutton is going to be the best stabilizer there is. I mean, a functional five mana, six six gain three. You need some real strength to attack through that and, and win. Yeah.
0: Now, uh we do have a couple of others that we that we haven't really touched on here yet. Um we could probably skim through these because i think mm-hmm. these are a little more straightforward uh blue black fairies is good though less good than i anticipated it to be it's actually one of the worst decks in the format based on 17 lands data mm. um certainly better than blue white but um given the access to removal and flyers it has i'm surprised that it's uh putting up the numbers that it is and uh i mean this is again this is just like draft all the fairies uh fairy fencing and any of the other cards that say do a thing extra if you have fairies on the board like they're all good baronati is a phenomenal common as well i'm actually surprised yeah. that it's not higher up on the uh on the the commons list because it's it's not even near the top but um i've really liked baronati in most of my black decks period uh, and especially mm-hmm. in the fairies deck <laughs> speaking of black decks uh black white i haven't seen it work man i just i don't know it's,
1: yeah, it, this one is trickier to put together. It's one of those A plus B type of things where you really do need both things to be happening. What is it? The Ashiok's Reaper. I think the four mana three three when an enchantment Draws is putting a, a graveyard draw a card. I haven't seen that proc once in my Me twenty neither.
0: events. Uh, that I I've I never think... seen a bird token. <laughs> I've seen plenty of Savior of the Sleepings on the board. I've never seen or um not Savior sleeping the the other one the night knight of doves. I've seen plenty yeah. of them on the board. I've just never seen it make a bird, ever. Yeah, your opponent has a lot of leeway in
1: how they interact with, with that vector. Like, What if you just pacify their thing with the roll on it? Do you then spend a card to put another roll on it to get the thing to go to proc when that card's already been locked down, and maybe at risk of getting exiled in, case, in the case of a like caged up? I, yeah, it, it can work when it has the power behind it, but I think I've seen it work best as just a straight up enchantress deck with just good value, black cards, good value, white cards. I mean, we're seeing that these are some of the best decks of the format, red, white, black, red. Of course you could put together a black, white combination that works. Uh, in yeah. fact, our live draft deck, I went 2 one with it uh, five and uh, five and three in games, I believe. So, you know, <laughs> you, you can do good work. even with a, Admittedly mediocre (laughs) black white deck, but uh, yeah, it's definitely not up there with the uh, the dedicated beatdown piles. Plus, it seems like maybe black. I don't know. It might depend on the exact combination. If you combine the black late game uh, reactive vector cards with the white aggressive vector cards, you're just going to get a mess.
0: Yeah, I will say, um, numbers-wise, the white-black decks are actually behind blue-black, so that's a little bit surprising, mm, too. Wow. They're they're on the lower end of the spectrum in terms of win rates. Um, with the top four, really, being um, red-white, black-green, Rakdos, and Gruul, actually, um, hmm. are the top four in, in order. Gruul checks out, yeah. Um, and then also, there is technically a five-color deck, um, In fact, I think there are quite a few of them. Um, The one that I've seen work really well, LSV did a phenomenal draft where Goosemother was his top end, but it was like this very controlling five-color deck that relied on Prismatic Prisms and the occasional treasure to just play whatever he wanted, and uh, often playing Goosemother as like an 8-8 or 9-9 and and just completely annihilating opponents. Um, I think there are other ways to build five-color But this is one where it's like, again, every card in your deck needs to synergize well with every other card in the deck. If you just have a bunch of random five-color cards in your deck because you drafted a bunch of good rares, probably not going to do very well.
1: Yeah, I think that the five-color deck, there's a key package of cards that can enable it, right? Uh, It's easiest to do in green because you have access to um, the fawn, right? You have access to the ramp spell, uh, return from the wilds. And you have access to, oh yeah, yeah. Even Utopia Sprawl, which is one of the best of them. Uh, But Prophetic Prism is really the one that makes this tick. It it really glues these decks together in that it acts as a bargain piece. These decks tend to be uh, reactive. I mean, they're playing a two mana. Don't affect the board, right? You, they they have to have a way to make that good. Probably through bargaining out something like a Hamlet Glutton early, right? Or bargaining a Johann stopgap, or maybe uh, using something like hatching plans to get such raw card advantage that they can then you know get fixing through that. Uh, this package though of like. One to two Prophetic Prisms, maybe one Grotto I don't mind playing if I'm trying to do this type of thing. Uh, and then some Treasure Makers, uh, particularly Grabby Giant. That one can make some treasures early. I don't love the uh, the three-mana 2-3, three, the Goblin ETB, uh, Make a Treasure. That one's just fine. It's, it's kind of like a mediocre thing that both this deck and the Red-White deck can use to hit Celebration. Yeah, I think but- it's great in Red-White. Yeah, yeah, it, it can do some stuff in red white. I mean, ramping you up to like a, a double spell turn can be pretty applicable, or ramping up to a giant Imbodane's Recruiter play or something like that. I guess that does let you turn for Recruiter, right? Back it also trigger celebration turn in the turn
0: you do it. So
1: yeah, okay, maybe maybe I've been too harsh on these junky red white cards, uh, cards I would never otherwise put in a red white deck in another format. But anyway, I'm I'm also still studying the five color package. I think there's a i don't know if there's a whole episode to that but uh there's definitely some splashability in this format uh feel free to splash around particularly with the adventure cards uh because if you can at least guarantee you're going to be able to cast half maybe you're splashing the other color you don't end up in as many games where you're truly mana screwed because of your splash right uh everyone's been there you splash a uh a six and a blue bomb But then even on turn seven, eight, nine, you're still looking for your island and you just haven't found it. Well, what if your six and a blue bomb also has a single green adventure and you're like a green red deck? Well, then, yeah, it's much easier to do. Uh, That can come up in this set a lot. Now, as one last big format note, I've noticed something that's worth mentioning. There are occasionally these non games where both players trade off a bunch of resources early these games often involve hopeless nightmare uh, because this card is a, a game. It's like a game asset reducer. It reduces the number of cards in play, permanents in play, stuff that's happening, even life total for your opponent. And it reminded me of a, a great article by Sam Black um, titled, uh, I think it was Elvish Visionary versus Elder Fang Disciple The Nature of Card Advantage. So, Sam Black makes this um this point, and I actually wrote a similar article about this too. Maybe we can link both of these in the show notes uh, th- this uh This idea that there are these big games in magic where both players are drawing tons of cards and spilling things out onto the board and and just dumping hands full of resources. and then there are these small games where things trade off early. Uh, both players dump their hand, but then don't really reload. And uh, kind of rely on top decking quicker than otherwise. Maybe you only have four lands in play. Now, some decks perform better under small game circumstances. For example, Black Red. Black Red is perfectly happy only drawing four or five lands over the course of the game. It means they probably drew all their one, two, three drops, right? And that's good for them. Uh, whereas the Blue Green deck is perfectly happy to play its seventh land. The Red Black deck is not. So the Blue Green deck will quote unquote vote for bigger games when possible. Now, I found the discrepancy to be when the black-red deck plays against the blue-green deck. Sometimes you'll get a non-game where the black-red deck just plays its small game so quickly and so efficiently that the blue-green deck never even stood a chance. Sometimes you'll have a blue-green deck that ramps so efficiently the black-red deck never stood a chance. They had ramp and card draw, maybe a good rare, something like that. And I think what this highlights is a bit of a format meta, which we don't always see. Um, It it means that there are these hyper assertive decks, these hyper reactive decks. And uh, as with usual metas, the hyper assertive deck will be pretty good against the hyper reactive or the I guess saying hyper reactive implies that it's able to sufficiently deal with it. The uh, long game decks I mean, that's just kind of how it works, right? Like aggro beats control, uh, mid-range beats aggro, control beats mid-range. And then combo is, it's in there somewhere. Um, I've noticed a similar thing to that. If I'm playing red-white and I see my opponents on blue-green, I'm like, okay, I can can beat them down fast enough to to get through. But if I'm playing red-white and my opponent has like a good black-green curve out, then I'm like, ooh, they've got this good mid-range deck. They have a lot of food. Uh, I'm not feeling as good about this one. Have you seen something similar while playing?
0: I have. I think actually though, and this, this just go, I mean, I, I, I maybe will let the cat out of the bag here a little bit, but I don't think this is a surprise to anybody. Uh, I think that's why Imanes recruiter is just hands down draft chaff hero for this set. Like if you're playing red, white, if you're playing red, white and you're up against a good, tight, black, green, mid range food deck. I often just don't, I don't get discouraged because it's like, I'll just play my board. We'll gum up the ground a bit. And then I'll just recruit her to win. Like
1: that's what can punch through. Yeah.
0: Right. And then, and then you have other non crescendos, another version of that, that you have access to in those decks that let you punch through even harder. And that actually leaves behind creatures. So when you're trading off or trading up, you're getting rats left over. So your recruiters later can puff the rats. Like, there is some some play the red white decks specifically have in this format to kind of get ahead or get over the the those mid rangey kind of blue green sometimes gruel decks as well I'm sorry black green and gruel decks that said, I don't know that blue black red quite has the same even though those cards are red, their creatures are generally uh on the smaller side, so like your one one's mm. punching through those bigger creatures even with something like gnawing crescendo or imidane's recruiter a little bit harder than your three ones punching through right so um there is some some back and forth of that but i think all of those pieces are in red so if you do have a tight a tight vector on the uh, the small game side um i think there are ways in this format to punch through the the bigger things that otherwise would stop you up um The other versions of like I guess slightly aggressive decks. You could argue that black blue is a is kind of an aggressive ish deck. It's more tempo, yeah. I would say really, but but flyers, of course, just go over everything. Um, So that's when in doubt, flyers. I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it's kind of my draft philosophy, but uh, yeah, I I agree with you. I do see some of that that kind of dichotomy between the different decks, but I think there's a lot in this format that actually lets you play in and around those things. (laughs) from both ends of the spectrum um the ramp kept being so efficient in this format with things like mm. utopia sprawl and like the root rider fawns which are one threes that tap like they're not your typical land of war elf that just gets run over um one threes are solid blockers in this format and they act sort of like birds of paradise as well because they can filter your lands. so um you heard it here first. <laughs> the font <laughs> is functionally
1: a birds of paradise. Did you see my like, tweet the other day? Which <laughs> one? I said, that, uh, I, I said Stab Wound is, is basically true. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I did see that. Stab Wound, MVP of this format, though. Love that card. I yeah, probably take it too highly and play it too often, but it's. I've so already good. said my thoughts on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did w- have a section for this episode on interactions that we really like i don't know ben maybe if we want to just like give one or two because we're we're running up to uh quite a long episode here if you want to see a lot of really good combos Sirkovitz had an awesome thread on twitter that kind of broke down all of the major two card combos and i think some three card combos even in the format um so we'll just put a link to that in the episode description but um yeah ben is there any any combo that you kind of want to just shout out before we kind of wrap up the episode here
1: yeah, let's chat about Princess Takes Flight. This card is, man, if Emma Danes Recruiter wasn't going to sweep Draft shaft Hero, it'd probably be Princess Takes Flight. This is going to be one of my favorite cards of the set for sure. Uh, this is the two in a white saga, ETP, exile a creature. Uh, chapter two, uh, you give a creature 2-2 two, in two flying. Chapter three, uh, the exiled creature gets returned. So I, ha- I have some notes and thoughts on how to use this card best because... You know, in, um what is it? Portal, I think. Uh, what is there? I think it's when GLaDOS is talking to you and she goes, no, stop. That's not how you use that. I have that that playing in my head, but I see my opponents play princess takes flight incorrectly. Uh, Here's some notes about it. First of all, if you can get it back to your hand or off the battlefield somehow before chapter three, they don't get their thing back. That's the joke. It is a three mana exile a thing. Give plus two plus two in flying with no downside, and that is obviously a ridiculous card. So if you can bounce it to your hand using the uh, the stockpiler or a stopgap, Johan stopgap is kind of the uh, the ultimate combo because maybe sometimes it's best if you have the mana you can bounce it back to your hand and replay it in the same turn. Uh, but you could also bargain it away to the stopgap, so it depends on what phase of the game you're at, how much mana you have available, or what your opponent's doing. Um, also, something with Princess takes flight. Uh, If you are able to, let's say you just run it out, right? And you don't know for sure that you have the bargain card in hand. You will have to do that sometimes. In red-white, you'll just do that some percentage of the time just to get their, I don't know, blocker out of the way. Unconditional removal is a way that, like you were saying earlier, you sometimes can punch through against those bigger, beefier mid-range decks. And this is that. It's unconditional exile. So what you can do is you can set an upkeep stop. And you can go to your draw step and see I've actually had it happen where my upkeep I top decked um, the
0: like, torch the tower or something stupid.
1: Yeah, like a torch the tower or the uh, the one mana uh, two two flying. And that's obviously a really brutal draw. And then you cast it before your first main phase. It doesn't be an instant for this to work as if you needed more of a reason to put torch the tower in your deck. <laughs> Here's one. Uh, y- you can cast this. And then uh, it'll sacrifice the princess takes flight before your main phase. Something cool about sagas is they trigger on your main, not on your upkeep. So uh, that that little interaction, use that uh, because, like I said, it has come up for me. I have gained win percentage by knowing that, uh, that interaction there. And occasionally, you can actually use it to target your own creatures. I actually used it to target one of mine that had a pacifism on it. And in that case, I did actually allow it to fully resolve and bring my creature back something funny actually happened. Uh, My opponent tried to um, grasp of fate it so that then the grasp of fate would have the princess takes flight under it. And then it would have been a whole thing. I decided to save my creature by uh, using, what is it? The Hilda's kiss or whatever. It's the white that destroys an enchantment. I ended up destroying their O-ring in response. So it was a very funny enchantressy back and forth. This format definitely has some some interesting play patterns to it. And uh I'm certainly not bored yet, and I'm enjoying it a lot more than I did during pre-release. So
0: (laughs) Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad that's the case. I'm enjoying the format as well. Um a couple of other like quick random notes. Um I don't know that I'd call this a prince or a pauper format. Like it's not very rare dependent, but the rares are impactful, and when you put the right rares in your deck, uh they do perform quite well. So seems to be a healthy format in my opinion i don't think there are any rares Mm -hmm. and just like oh you know like super grown test and okay i guess i'm never gonna win now there are some big bombs that do that but they're not around often enough at least in my experience that it has ruined the format for me um and there are enough of them or maybe there are a few enough of them that i get them too. i don't know um you want me to you want me to
1: out us a little bit here uh, you and I have both have both lost after casting Gruff Triplets, right?
0: Uh well, I I know I have. <laughs> <laughs> I have too. <laughs> um yeah, yeah so Although, it's good. Again, it's good,
1: but it's not that good.
0: I'll throw out there the only time I lost after casting Gruff Triplets was when I was at one life when I cast it. So
1: <laughs> and uh I died to a really strong red-white aggro deck that had just gone too big, too wide and I had too few resources. So yeah. Red, white, you know, look, I, I think I'm supposed to like this format even more than I do already. Red, white is my jam. I, I just have to figure out what the good red, white cards are. I, I'm still a little shaky on that.
0: Yeah. Well, and and I think that's kind of my next point on the format is none of the decks are trivial to build really like, except maybe yeah. blue, black fairies, blue, black fairies <laughs> is maybe the only deck that I've ever felt is kind of quote unquote on rails, but Fairy. every other deck requires real thought to build properly and have like a cohesive effective powerful deck uh which i really appreciate i think that keeps the drafting from getting boring and then like you mentioned earlier the gameplay has been uh very dynamic i think every game is is quite different because there are a lot of different vectors in the format um and they're so narrow that that allows for so many different ones to kind of pop up Know your vector theory, folks. If you don't know vector theory, go check out our episodes on vector theory because it will help you gain win percentage in this format for sure. All right, that about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Do check out the Discord if you haven't already. We'd love to hear about it, uh, your your experience with this format, and uh, we'd love to see you over there. So do check that out. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And again, the Patreon's paused, but if you do want to check that out, you can find it at patreon.com forward slash draft draft don't forget, when we relaunch that, we're going to be doing a limited edition, limited time only half draft draft pins for everybody who joins in that launch window. So um, keep an eye, ear out and eye out for that. We will have more details coming in the near future. And if you want to find us on Twitter or X, uh, you can do so <laughs> at draft draft pod. Thanks, folks. And we'll catch you next week
1: the start of the show, then I imagine you are now. So I'll keep this brief. (laughs) But uh, this past week, I I did break one of my, uh, my my main rules, these tenants that I try to hold myself to. And that's uh, engaging in online beef. (laughs) It's it's very rarely productive. And it it never leads to a good outcome. And it, it usually just decreases the net happiness in the world for some amount of people. But sometimes you got to stick to your guns. And uh, for those that saw it, there was some discourse about the old rip and flip game, which for those that are not familiar, it is when you have a prize pack or something, you take the rare slot card without looking at it. You rip it in half and then you flip it over to see whether you lost 10 cents or whether you lost a hundred dollars. And I guess there's an element of entertainment to this. I've seen people do this. Uh, I mentioned in the the thread that folks at my old magic club used to play it and it always just felt a little cringy. You know, I, I think imagine another collector or another game doing this. Right. Imagine if occasionally like a beanie baby collector, they would just get a random box of beanie babies and they would just slice it in half and then look inside to to see what what had been done to their their beanie babies or i don't know someone who's super into to chess occasionally just I, I don't know just taking a hammer to the the king to me it reads as equivalent i love magic too much to want to rip a card in half outside of some you know ridiculous circumstances so i recommend you check out our thread on twitter about it i'm curious to hear people's takes on this but um yeah. All in all, whatever. It's just uh, thoughts on the internet. This isn't going to be, <laughs> well, let's not make a big, big thing out of this. Um, the person who posted that they're great, honestly love their content, but sometimes, you know, I, I, you just gotta, you gotta stick to your guns a little bit. Right.
0: Yeah, I guess so. I think part of the discourse with that particular conversation was like almost verging away from the rip and flip itself. And more into i well it didn't actually go here, but it could the conversation could have gone here uh, to what degree or what limits are you willing to adhere to when it comes to content creation and like where's <laughs> what's the line yeah. that you draw personally for your content uh, and what you are willing to do and what you're not willing to do? Um, some people are willing to go further than others. I think in the grand scheme of things, rip and flip is a very low bar overall in terms of like what aren't you willing to do um mm-hmm. You could do a lot worse things for the sake of content creation than ripping a piece of cardboard that is, is this is a super first world problem. Right. Um, but I think at the beginning when you started describing it, my, my thoughts on rip and flip are typically right. Like overall or in a vacuum, I see it as like zero upside net negative. There, There exactly. is nothing good about it. There's nothing added to anybody about it. <laughs> That said, if it does provide people entertainment, there is a level of something being added, and so I guess you have to val vary and compare is the level of entertainment outweighing the cost of like ripping a card you otherwise could have just given to somebody if you didn't want it or like donated yeah. to the clubs or what I don't know whatever
1: yeah but but here's a good one. Let's talk about the uh the the kind kind of entertainment right if the kind of entertainment is the viewers would then derive some amount of joy from my pain at ripping a lily of the veil in half or something that, which actually is like a $10 card. Let's use a, let's use a real thing. Let's say you rip a grief in half or a solitude, a borderless solitude. You rip that thing in half and the viewers derive some amount of my, of grief from my grief. Ah. <laughs> uh, then I don't know. I guess that is entertainment, but aren't there a, more fun ways to entertain people well that's
0: that's up to the viewer right i mean that that's like a very one-on-one like what may what entertains you may not entertain me some people really love going to concerts i don't particularly care to that often uh you know like if you get entertainment out of watching somebody rip a card and it may even be i mean like let's be honest a lot of content creators don't necessarily like I don't know how hurt I would be if I ripped open a hundred dollar card, it would suck, but I, it, it's one of those like, yeah, this sucks, but like, okay, I'll move on. You know, like my life's not ruined or anything. It's not like that impactful. Really? I spent, yeah, let's not pretend this, this is like, a, whatever. cause like that's, yeah. that's the thing. It's like expected value is lost. Uh-huh. The actual value you lost was the value of the pack. I think there's more, there's a more altruistic loss in that you could have just donated that. And it, actually improved somebody's outlook on the game or given somebody the ability to play a format maybe they otherwise couldn't have played Mm -hmm. something like that um but at the end of the day if you are providing entertainment to somebody who's to say that like somebody getting a laugh out of that didn't completely turn their day around you know that's fair it makes for a good story uh
1: I I guess this type of discourse, I I feel like it just spirals into nowhere. There's so many more important things. Remember, we're talking about a niche within a niche within a niche. Uh, I, I guess for my final thoughts on this, I'll leave it as I love magic cards too much to rip them up.